Well, happy Easter Anchor community. Pastor Brian here. Hopefully your morning has already been rich, whether it was the worship that you just worshiped or breakfast with friends or family. Hopefully after this gathering, you're able to engage with family and friends, whether Zoom or in person, grab a great brunch. My hope for you is that this Easter is a rich, hope-filled time. So right at the front of this teaching, we're gonna do something that followers of Jesus have done since the beginning, since the very first Easter. I'm gonna say he is risen, and I have some friends here that are helping with the recording that are gonna say he is risen indeed. Would you join them in their response as we announce this powerful, hopeful truth on this Easter Sunday? So on the count of three, I'm gonna say he is risen, and you get to respond with he is risen indeed. One, two, three. He is risen. That's right. All right. Well, hey, this Easter, we're talking about fear and how God can help us overcome our fear. We're calling it God's answer to our fear. And here's the thing. Every one of us has fears. Some of us are afraid of spiders. Some of us are afraid of public speaking. Some of us are nervous about the response to the job application that we put in. We're still waiting to hear back and we're feeling a little bit of fear. Some of us avoid the conversation that we know we need to have with that one person because we're afraid of the experience of fear when we start to engage in it. But when you think about your fears, we think about all the fears in your life and all of us have them, you could roughly break them down into two different categories. There's healthy fears and unhealthy fears. Let me explain it to you. I went on a run years ago, I turned on a corner on a trail, and there was a big bear about six feet away from me. Now, it was healthy fear that led me to run as fast as I could away from that bear. In fact, something would be wrong in my head if I would have approached that bear. I mean, that stretch is past naivete. You know, that's something wrong with me if I'm approaching the bear. Healthy fear caused me to flee from the bear. Now, here's the problem is that many of us live our lives in such a way as if bears are chasing us throughout our lives. Our heart rate starts racing, uh, our palms get sweaty, our, you know, we can feel a tightness in our shoulders, our breathing comes rapidly, and sometimes that stuff begins to become triggered in us even when we're thinking about positive experiences. Could be coming to church, starting a dating relationship, starting a new job, all positive things, but sometimes those positive things can be fear-inducing, and that's unhealthy fear. Sometimes understandable, but still unhealthy. So today, we're going to be looking at a certain passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be seeing how God helps us. In fact, God invites us to a point where fear actually starts to fear us. Fear starts to fear us. This is the conclusion of a long teaching series we've been doing through uh, this letter called the Ephesians. Pastor Paul writes it to this church in the ancient city of Ephesus. And, and I would urge you, if you're new to Anchor, if this is your first time joining in, welcome. And you might want to, throughout the next week, go to our website, go to our YouTube channel, and listen or watch these talks to fully develop this picture of what this letter through Ephesians is all about. But to do a 
little bit of a big overview to catch us all up to speed. Uh, you know, Ephesians chapter one, verse three, chapter one to three is about Paul passing on uh, this important truth about the Ephesians identity. We live in a world where identity has to be fought for and achieved and accomplished. Paul is saying it was already fought for, achieved and accomplished by the saving work of Jesus. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to accomplish it. You don't have to achieve it. He's already done it. You're redeemed, your sisters, your brothers. You're at the same table with this multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic status family. It's all, all you're all together. It, you're sealed by the Spirit. These are the themes that Paul is bringing up through the first three chapters. In fact, Paul has this beautiful section in Ephesians 2 where he says, you were dead, but now you're alive. At our in-person gatherings, we're gonna be selling, celebrating baptism after the teaching and people be coming forward sometime, but maybe even God doing something in their heart. They're, they're moving. They didn't plan it, but they're getting spontaneously baptized as an expression that God brought them from death to life. This is an identity thing. In chapters four to five, Paul talks about, okay, now you know who you are. Now you know what, what, who God has made you to be and what God has done through Christ and assuring your identity. What does it look like to behave and interact and relate in such a way. So he spends chapters four and five talking about, you could call it ethics, the ethics of a identity of a follower of Jesus. And here in Ephesians chapter six, he's talking about not just how to live, not just how to relate, not just ethics, but how to be victorious. How to be a person where fear fears us, where we're not dominated by unhealthy fears. You know, throughout all of the scriptures, uh, you know, the most repeated line in all of scripture from God is, do not fear, fear not, and variations thereof. It's almost as if God knows that secret that we all carry within us, that we're all, we're all dominated, sometimes paralyzed by unhealthy fear. Some of you have had a uh, family member or a partner, uh, a spouse, a friend that knows that you're about to be triggered by some anxiety or fear and they grab your hand, they squeeze it. Maybe they whisper in your ear, I'm with you. Or maybe they put their hand on your shoulder, just, as, just letting you know they know you, they know what you're experiencing and they want you to know that you're not alone. It's almost as if God is doing that with us, with his repeated statements of fear not, He's telling humanity, I'm with you. I know, I know, I know, but I'm with you. It's the squeeze of the hand. It's the arm on the shoulder. It's the whisper in the ear. I am with you. And Ephesians chapter six is this beautiful picture of how we can live into what God invites us to experience. We're going to be looking at Ephesians six through three questions. Um, and these questions will serve as guides. First is, whose armor is it? Well, check it out. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 says, Finally, Paul's concluding, he's con his concluding thoughts. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. A couple things to note there. Paul's not saying, finally, Ephesians, because of your socioeconomic status or because of your government position or because of whatever, you can be strong. No, he's saying, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and put on the full armor of God. Whose armor is it? 
It's God's effect. The key to overcoming fear is knowing whose armor it is. Here's the secret. Every one of us holds an anxiety and nervousness about being vulnerable. Makes sense. The word vulnerable comes from the Latin to wound. And so we have this nervousness about being vulnerable, about being exposed. So we all create armor. We all fashion armor. And sometimes our armor is composed of our income level or our intelligence, our resume, uh, our, our skills, who we're in relationship with, how many followers we have on Instagram. You know it. We out of a fear of being exposed, we fashion armor. Years ago, uh, I found myself, you know, um, being kind of seen as somebody with some level of intelligence. I know some of you are wondering what I know. Uh, I had this reputation for being a person that loved to study, was interested in learning, would, would not just kind of just kind of form a thought, but research it, try to understand something from multiple angles of gaze. And so people kept coming to me with, with, with thoughts and interesting, you know, like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And, and, and I loved conversation and talking about it. When people came with a different idea, trying to argue up my position, I just delighted in thrashing them and dismantling their best arguments and handing it back to them. Here's the shreds, enjoy. And then uh, I pursued a master's degree. And now here's what I found when I was working on my master's degree. I was not the smartest person, not only in the world, but in the room. In fact, there are many smarter people than me. And I, here's the thing. It made me feel insecure. All of a sudden, the armor that I had built up, it wasn't working anymore. Uh, the armor that I had created to protect that vulnerability was not working. Even more, I realized this. I realized that my strongest moments of using my own armor meant always another person's expense. When I would dominate and dismantle another person's argument, sometimes maybe looking back as silly as it was, it was always as another at another's expense. And then when it didn't work anymore, it was at my expense. All of us are prone to fashion armor to protect us from experiencing vulnerability, but the fashioning of our own armor is an expression of our fear. We're afraid. So we create a buffer from us and the world so we don't have to experience that fear. Let me read this, the point again here. The key to overcoming a fear is to know whose armor it is. Paul says, here's, here's the armor of God. Here's this beautiful thing is that like when you think about it, and hopefully right now you're thinking of certain types of armor you've created. And again, it's multiform. As many different types of people as there are in the world, as there's many types of, of, of armor and, and that we've created. And uh, But the one who's saying don't fear throughout scripture, the one who's saying consistently don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, is the one giving us his armor. In fact, here's the beautiful truth. Easter Sunday, a couple days ago, Jesus was in a garden, if we're following the scriptural story this Garden of Gethsemane. And there he knelt before God with his, his friends, all the sleeping. 
He'd asked him, hey, stay up with me, stay up with me. They fell asleep. He's all there by himself, about to be arrested, totally vulnerable and exposed. He did not protect himself. In fact, when somebody raised the knife to cut, to start a revolutionary war, to cut off the soldiers that were attacking his ear, he said, hey, no. He did not protect himself with the armor that was rightfully his. Why? Because he was exposed to vulnerability so that we might be recipients of his armor because he exposed because he experienced a level of vulnerability that we could never fathom we're protected in situations that we would normally fear here's the beautiful truth you know it's okay so it takes about three seconds for us to for for an insult or a critical comment to settle into our soul this is the psychology uh psychologists will tell you this takes three seconds for a critical thought to settle into our soul. Many of us have felt that. It takes 30 seconds for a compliment or a helpful truth to settle into our soul. So here, here's just hold this. To sometime today, sometime today, when you have a little bit of margin where there's a measure of solitude, just draw focus on this. The fact you don't have to pretend and pose anymore. You don't have to demonstrate your prowess and push forward this armor to protect yourself from vulnerability. Jesus has already become vulnerable so you could become protected. Take his armor, receive his word, don't fear. Just let that truth settle and spend 30 seconds just reflecting on it. And what you'll find is that that for many, this Overcoming fear thing is a lifelong battle, but it is one in steps and steps and steps. And when you let that truth settle in, not just hear it and agree and say, yeah, 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 that's good, but you let it settle into your soul, has to become real for your soul, then you'll find yourself taking steps on the frontier, on the journey of overcoming fear. Fear will start to fear you. Second question is, who's the struggle with? Who is the struggle with? Ephesians 6, 11 to 13, Paul writes, he continues, so, so that you can stand. He goes, hey, to put on the armor of God. Why? So that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Now, here's what you need to remember. This is the verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God. He says it again, so that when you day of, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Okay. Some of our fear, some of the fear that you experience is the result of not knowing who you're actually struggling with. Some of the fear that you're experiencing is the result of you not knowing who you're actually struggling with. Paul says it. The struggle is not, is not of against flesh and blood. But there's this spiritual battle. Now, let me, let me set this up. Right now, in our current moment in time, you could say there's two different types of people. Now, there's some people that think about this spiritual reality Um, And they think that behind every rock, behind every corner, there's an angel or demon or some type of spiritual force or maybe spiritual energy. And then there's other people that think, nope, it's only rocks 
It's only dirt that beyond the sky, there's just more sky. It's nothing. There's just material universe and that's it. You could say those are two, what I would say two errors. There's the error of superstition and the error of secularism. Secularism says only material realities exist. There's nothing spiritual. Superstition says super, it's all hiding, every, you know, it's everywhere and blames, you know, anytime you trip on a rock, it's the, the demon's fault that are whatever. Superstition, secularism, Paul talks about it a different way. Paul talks about a very real spiritual reality that overlaps and intersects with our present material world. And certain times superstition is more, more uh, believed. Sometimes secularism is more believed. But the truth is, is neither this there's spiritual reality that exists. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, oftentimes we think that another person is the problem and that other person and that relationship, it causes fear. Experiences, we experience fear and anxiety because of the relational tension that exists there. Could be rapid heart rate, could be shortness of breath, could be stress out, avoiding the phone call, whatever it is. Paul says that in that situation, we have a tendency to either write them off or demonize them. Okay? We live in a moment of time where this is normal, <laughs> right? Where it's normal to write somebody off or to demonize them. Now, let me explain why that's common. Because we live in a world that only sees the material reality um, more often than not as, the, as, as it, we think that everything, we, because we live in what I would call a spiritually deficient world, or because we live in a, have a spiritually deficient understanding of the world, it's, it becomes hard to not see, to, it, all of a sudden people are the ultimate problem because this is all there is. People are the ultimate problem and the, the gains and losses in this world are all there is. And so we use the energy that we have to, we demonize and write people off because this is all there is. Paul says, no, no, no. This is not all there is. And people are not the problem. You see, Unless you have, believe in the spiritual realm, you will have, you'll be constantly having an experience of thinking that people are the actual problem because this is all there is. But if you believe in the spiritual reality that Paul is talking about, you will know that the, that they, that the other person that you're experiencing relational tension with is not the problem. They're not primarily, in Paul's understanding, an opponent, but they're a teammate. They are people that are also, also being attacked by the enemy that, that, that you actually are in kind of league with because the enemy is against humanity, against the church, yes, but against humanity. And, and, and when you understand that, you're able to not be afraid of people and not see people as the object of, of your and of and rightful, any rightful antagonism. This understanding, it's important that we get this, this understanding allows Paul allows us to see other people not as the problem, but either as victims or fellow fighters in a spiritual battle of which Jesus has already ultimately won. This is what Paul's wanting us to understand. This means when we think about the person that we're, it could be a family member, could be a coworker, could be a neighbor, could, could be whatever. When we think about that person, the goal is to not see them as the enemy, to see them as a, uh, as, as a teammate and to not bring a defense or an explanation 
or a better argument in the room, but rather to bring love into the room. One friend of mine says, wherever he goes, he tries to add value to the people he's in relationship with. You you can have the power to do this. Here's the thing is that you can let relational fear cripple and paralyze you and keep you from relational, moving forward relationally. But what Paul's advancing here is, is, is that, no, that, that doesn't have to have the last word. You can, you can see them as, as people that are in the same place as you, just with different origin stories. And you can bring value to them. You can bring love into the room. Now, this is important for the Ephesians to understand. I mean, think about this. The Ephesian church, you know, uh, in, in the city of Ephesus in the first century, there's this major garrison of the Roman army that's a major trading port. So they're seeing all sorts of power around them all over time. And they're, they're, seeing, uh, they're seeing people that are, you know, are uh, incredibly powerful. They've got this armor on. They're Roman guards. They're strong. The Ephesian church is is probably, uh, we don't know for sure, but certainly there's people that are outcasts and and, and slaves and, and, and those that didn't have social power that are a part of this church. It would be easy to look around and be intimidated, to see people as a source of threat, to see the real armor made of metal that defines and describes the Roman military is scary and intimidating. And Paul says, those people are not the enemy. Those people are not the enemy. The other side's not the enemy. Republicans are not the enemy. Democrats are not the enemy. Whoever it is, fill in the blank, it's not the enemy. That's what Paul would say to you. You have to think beyond this. Spiritual reality allows us to have a different and bigger picture. What if we walked by the people we experience in inner tension and maybe even fear and held this different knowledge that they weren't the ultimate problem? This doesn't mean, of course, okay, so this doesn't mean you go willy-nilly into toxicity, but it does mean that you embrace the subversive and empowering truth that, that you have a different arm, armor and there's a different enemy. That you are protected and you're safe and you have a different enemy and the rest of the world, here, check this out, the rest of the world, it's they're they're... They're victims of the fight, sometimes fellow fighters, but they're always the object of God's love. We can diffuse relational fear when we understand the spiritual reality. Third question, what are my weapons? In the fight against fear, what are my weapons? Paul says in verse 14 to 17, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Check this out. The apostle John Friend of, friend of Paul, would later write, perfect love casts out all fear. Interestingly enough, he would write it to the same church in Ephesus. Perfect love casts out all fear. I believe Paul's giving us an example here of how that perfect love can cast all fear out. He's talking about what it looks like, how, how fear can be kicked out. He's giving us this picture, giving us these weapons, the, the belt of truth in an age of 
spin and cynicism. Paul is saying, hold on to truth. Not to make too much of the article of clothing that Paul's describing here, but the, the belt holds something together. It holds something on you. As long as we, we let go of truth, we're going to be, let, things will be slipping through a grasp. We won't be having a hold on, on, on reality. In an age of spin and cynicism, we need truth, a bre- the breastplate of righteousness. The ancient world knows, like we knew, that there was something powerful in our chest, this heart. And to protect it, there's this, there's, Paul says, the breastplate of righteousness. Paul, he's thinking many different things when he says righteousness, but probably among them, saliently among them, is this idea that, that, that we, as recipients of God's grace, um, have Christ's righteousness protecting us so that we're, we're not, we're not, we're, our, our own righteousness is not the last word, but Christ's righteousness is protecting us. We have the feet fitted with the readiness to share God's love, that we're called, constantly being called to action to advance uh, God's kingdom and to share his love. The shield of faith, uh, this the work for understanding for faith in the Greek is trust, that we, we're trusting, we're actually like trusting in God. And it says, with the fire darts, they come. They're come, they come at us, but the shield of faith protects us. As we trust in God, we feel the blow, but we don't feel the weight of the attack. And the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. What are all these things? More than all of these small little detailed things, you know, requiring their own paragraph, their own book. What Paul is saying is that you're comprehensively outfitted with what you need to beat back fear. You are comprehensively outfitted for what you need to beat back fear. Paul's drawing from Isaiah 59, which talks about God's armor. So the Jews among the Ephesian church would understand that that God has this armor that he has given the Ephesians and and you are comprehensively outfitted for what you need to beat back fear. What does it look like for you to grab a hold of truth? Free to know, like really ask that question, sit in, what is real? What is true? I'm going to hold on to what is true. Oftentimes our fears happen because we're losing our grasp on what is true. Oftentimes we feel fear because we're thinking about our own righteousness and we're left wondering uh, you know, knowing that we're not righteous. And so we're wondering, knowing we don't add up. And so we're feeling fear about where we stand with God or where we stand with other people. But but Paul's saying, no, you have a breast, you have an armor, you have the breastplate of righteousness is protecting your heart. Wondering about purpose, we're afraid. We don't have a purpose. We don't have uh, something to do that's causing, you know, that, that's of noteworthy and significance. Paul's saying, no, your feet are fitted with the readiness to share the good news, to share the gospel, the shield of faith. The object of our trust determines uh, our ability to stand. Paul's saying you have this faith, this faith that protects you and keeps you. May feel the blows of the enemy, but you won't feel the full weight of the attack, helmet of salvation that you've been saved, sword of the spirit that you can, you can, delineate and separate and break down lies by grabbing a hold of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which he says, understand 
the understand the, the scriptures were able to see clearly and break down the strongholds that would otherwise keep us entangled. Paul is saying you're comprehensively outfitted for what you need to beat back fear. Again, using what we know about brain science, this might be just 30 seconds where you have to just let this settle in. It takes three seconds to let a critical thought settle in, but it might be 30 seconds to let this settle in. The picture here that Paul's presenting is not of a follower of Jesus being subject to fear, but of a follower of Jesus standing their ground in the face of opposition. The picture is of fear and so much more being cast out. There's this says stand your ground. We don't stand our ground unless we have the territory that is ours that we're defending. Paul's saying, stand your ground. Don't give them any ground. This is your ground. Beat back. If fear doesn't belong here, it can go out there. Beat it back. That's what Paul's saying. Grab a hold of this. You know, this truth gripped the early church. In fact, check this out in Mark chapter 16, the first resurrection story. In verse 4 of chapter 16, it says, But when they looked up, this is the some women disciples that have met at the empty tomb. When they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. He said, don't be alarmed, he said. This is an angel talking. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Get this, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What's going on? Why were they filled with fear? What was going on in their heart? What was going on in their head? I thought followers of Jesus were supposed to be able to slay fear. Here, these women, they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Well, here it is. Instantly, they were more shocked by the resurrection than the crucifixion. Instantly, their jaws had dropped on the floor. They thought death was the last word. They thought death had the final say. They thought Caesar was in power and everything was finished, but now they realize that there was one more powerful than Caesar and death didn't have the last word and his victory had started and they did the math and they realized, what does this mean? Everything has changed. There's And, and their response was one of, oh my gosh. Recently, I listened to an interview with a famous professor, psychologist, thinker, and though not a Jesus follower, in tears, he said, do you know what would happen if the world believed the truths of Jesus? In tears, he said, I wish I could, and sometimes I wonder if I do, but I do know if the world believed it, the world would change. These women understood it. They knew that the world's tyrants and despots those inside us that hold us captive to fear and those outside us that dominate the headlines and our mental energy don't have the last word. These women got close enough 
to an angel that told him of the truer reality and the more powerful victory, and it affected everything. And this truth affected the early church and affects us today. From this reality of these women experiencing this truer, this true victory, all other fear was slayed, and a community began to be formed, empowered by the Spirit, where widows were cared for, the role of women were, was elevated, hospitals were built, different ethnicities found the same table and family, humility was esteemed, universities were founded, justice was done, and now the church, even to this day, is not stopped. It's thriving in the hard soil of Afghanistan and Iran and exploding around the global south from China and beyond. Why? Why? Because a ragtag bunch of Jesus followers with limited education and little to no means found an empty tomb. And it changed everything. That's the invitation to you. For you to come face to face with the empty tomb. The one who is truly victorious. And let your appreciation and understanding and face-to-face -face confrontation with that power cripple all other paralyzing fear. So you can be free. This is a lifelong journey that is built out of steps and the steps are followed, are formed and, and directed towards the empty tomb. The empty tomb is the place where fear falls away because we know that death was for us and the, and the empty tomb is for us and the world is not as it seems because the king in fact reigns. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you're invited to experience that today. The saving love of Jesus is for you. You might click um, request prayer on the online platform that you're watching on. You might pray with a friend that's you're sitting with, that you're watching with. You might text the person that gave you this link. Say, hey, could we talk more about this? Because here's the, here's the truth. God wants you to live in such a way where fear fears you.